Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Energy and air pollution will be one of the top five issues for the general election. We talk about Putin being in control. He's not ready. It's the various factions under him, and it suits them to have him at the front. You're trying to save for a house deposit, and you'd have to save up some crazy amount of money. How on earth are you going to do that if a pint is £7? There's certain key things that we want from India, and there's certain key things that they want from us. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Welcome to the programme. We all dressed up for today's show as it is a day of much pageantry. Yeah, this is the state opening of Parliament. No, we're not sitting here in crowns. Look, it starts... Take that um, tear off. Yeah, it starts, um, of course, the the formal um, beginning of the parliamentary year. So this is the first time, actually, that King Charles has delivered this speech as king. It sets out the government's agenda uh, for the coming uh, season. He did so, of course, with huge pageantry from that gilded throne in the House of Lords with members from both uh, houses present uh, wearing the full regalia. He did wear the imperial crown throughout. There's a question about that if you were interested. The main points of the speech, though, are all about the Conservatives trying to highlight the difference between them and the Labour Party and trying effectively to draw the battle lines ahead of the next general election. In terms of the content of the speech, everything pretty much as had been expected. Announcements on oil and gas licensing, leaseholder reform, crime, migration, framework for regulating technology like self-driving cars, phasing out tobacco sales for younger people, uh, and an independent regulator to oversee football clubs as well. Now, much of that was sort of touted in about the 20 or so bills that are expected to come before the uh, House of Commons, potentially. The new element I noticed, a National Holocaust Memorial. Obviously, this comes at an important moment, but overall, maybe um, the, the lack of big new policies I thought was quite notable. Yeah, indeed. And that's something that's going to, I think, be focused on quite a bit as we think about how the government is trying to line itself up for that election expected uh, in the next year or so. No significant plans, for example, around house buildings, although we did see the version of a the slogan which was um, rolled out at the Conservative Party conference about long-term decisions being echoed a couple of times in the mm. speech as well. So um, this was no us towards that election campaign or a nod towards that very long election campaign the parties are positioning themselves for. Uh, Let's take a listen now to some of what King Charles had to say at the state opening of Parliament. My Lords and members of the House of Commons, it is mindful of a legacy of service and devotion to this country set by my beloved mother, the late Queen, that I deliver this, the first King's speech, in over 70 years. The impact of COVID and the war in Ukraine have created significant long-term challenges for the United Kingdom. That is why my government's priority is to make the difficult but necessary long-term decisions to change this country for the better. My minister's focus is on increasing economic growth and safeguarding the health and security of the British people 
for generations to come. So King Charles there uh, talking about, as you say, the sort of phrases that we've heard from Rishi Sunak before focused on the economy, Sunak's agenda to increase economic growth, bring down inflation and the cost of living and deliver responsible decisions, um, as the government has put it, in terms of spending and borrowing. So with uh, the Conservative Party trailing Keir Starmer's Labour Party by about 20 points in opinion polls versus the Tories, this is this speech was a chance for Sunak to make a mark with voters. Let's discuss now with Alex Wickham, who's our senior UK government uh, reporter. Alex, I'm keen to kind of get your first impressions of what you thought of the King's speech. As we said, there's quite a lot of the content of it in terms of the bills that had been uh, trailed in advance. You and, and colleagues elsewhere as well have been reporting on some of the measures that were in it. Did anything surprise you? Not particularly. It's a little bit challenging as a journalist to try and make this uh, particularly exciting. I mean, Do you I think- say it was sort of a guess who like board where you're ticking off all the things that you thought you knew in advance? Exactly. And, you know, 21 bills in there. That's the mm. fewest number of bills in a, in a legislative agenda for a decade. Um, that kind of leaves the obvious criticism being, does the Conservative government have any ideas, you know, big plans, interesting things that it thinks it could come up with to make a difference to the country you know to be fair to them there are some things in there that are you know they are different to what the Labour Party would do for example and I think that's a key part of what Rishi Sunak is trying to do today things like new uh, licensing for oil and gas in the North Sea. That's the sort of thing that Rishi Sunak is trying to show the public, you know, look, we're different to Labour. We can do things that Labour won't do. However, you have to say, you know, my sort of initial takeaway would be if you're a year out from an election, perhaps you'd want to start offering the public a little bit more. Yeah. Um, In terms of who it's aimed at then, I mean, perhaps the public will, voters may not pay that much attention. It's a brief speech. It kind of is the rough outline of what the the government's agenda is going to be. But obviously, between now and the next general election, that that is um, the the target for Rishi Sunak. So, you know, any appeal to to voters? I think there's things like uh, a few crime measures in Mm. there, which are, you know, quite strongly cracking down on 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 you know basically having harsher sentences for serious criminals i mean interestingly in his sort of preamble uh, today rishi sunak sort of tells us that oh for too long we've had soft sentences in this country well i mean again it begs the question who was in charge um and you know that is something that polls suggest would be popular with voters. They think that Keir Starmer, a former director of public prosecutions, more of a liberal on on criminal justice, um, potentially they can see this as a, as a, as a bit of a weak point for Labour. Um, there are things in there that are sort of you could argue a little bit populist things like cracking down on these uh, these pedicabs in London. These yeah, that was actually that was a bit of a one I wasn't quite. It, it, sort was, of was, it, it was sort of an end of a sentence that I was like, "What?" <laughs> no, it was. It was uh, understood that it was going to be coming along with the reforms around self-driving cars, so it had been flagged. But yes, it's I, yes, it is a bit populist, isn't it? It's a, it's a sort of it's an irritation, I think, for certain certain uh, <laughs> voters in London uh, getting getting mown down uh, as they cross the street, perhaps. Um, but I mean, you know, it's pretty small beer, and yeah, that is that's ultimately the problem. Is you know. Rishi Sunak will tell us these are long-term decisions for a brighter future. These are important things that matter. 
there are a few little populist things, but there's no big populist measure that creates or dividing line measure that we keep here to, hearing Tory strategists talk about. They're going to come up with to whack the Labour Party and close this poll gap. There's no big measure here that, that's going to do that. There's no game changer. Perhaps that will come in the autumn statement, although don't bet on it. Perhaps it will come in the budget next year. I mean, the, the thing is, how many times are we, we going to have these big set piece events before you know the, the big game changer comes along? Well, is it also just realistic from the Conservative Party's point of view? I mean, if they're a year-ish away from an election, we think. Are they just trying to lay out things they might actually be able to do by this time next year? Well, I mean, yes, but also I'd be surprised to see how much of this they can actually get done in the in the next year. There's, you know, there's a fair few tricky things to get through the House of Commons, and mm. you know, there's a quite a few of these bills have draft written in front of them, which sort of makes you think, you know, perhaps they they will never come into place. And the reality is, if there is a change of government to Labour in, in a year or so's time. Yeah, a few of these things are probably never going to happen. Yeah, you, you have to think about minimum service levels. The trade unions really dislike that. There was a talk about um, the, you know the advanced British standards, i.e., reforming education and uh, apprenticeships. Well, um, Dyson has sort of gone off apprenticeships, um, and even you look at the housing market issue around leaseholder reform. And I noticed the very careful wording of you know it'll help renters, but it will you know there was also a big nod to landlords, and that's been a sticking point for getting that bit of legislation legislation through through parliament um yes so i think it is pretty tricky and also <laughs> our very diligent producer has gone over all of your past pieces alex over the last few weeks and months and has spotted 17 times the use of the word reset when you've been writing about the conservative government i mean yeah we so it this is also not a new idea again for a government that that has been in place or a party that's been in place a long time this idea of trying to reset and reinvigorate it's, it's really tricky uh, you're absolutely right i think i've written probably towards early earlier this year many times tories calling for a reset uh-huh. and then you get Rishi Sunak allies promising a reset and it sort of happens again and again generally if people keep calling for resets or promising resets that suggests that the status quo isn't going very well remember Rishi Sunak's five pledges so we don't hear about those uh, so much anymore Um, and you know there is this constant call in the Tory party for Rishi Sunak to do more and I've been speaking to Tories today who are sort of saying it's all just a bit strange, this King speech. You know, where is the the reset? Where is the big moment? They keep promising us, oh, you know, just give us a few more weeks until the King speech. Give us a few more weeks until the awesome statement or perhaps a cabinet reshuffle is coming down the line where we can get a new top team in. Well, we had a cabinet reshuffle not so long ago. It was very small and, and uninspiring. The, the King's speech not particularly attention-grabbing. You sort of wonder, is the moment ever going to come? Well, it, I mean, what's the strategy there? Is it to try... Is it the, the, still the fear of, of Labour stealing their lunch if, you know, if they unveil too quickly what their policies are? Are we stuck in this sort of endless holding pattern where neither party's really being too ambitious with big policies because it still feels too far away from an election? I'm sure there's a bit of that, but the thing is, Labour are 20 points ahead. So, it, you know, you could argue Keir Starmer not showing too much strategy, not showing too much policy at this point makes sense because why, why you know, interrupt things when, when you're doing well? But for the government, they, they need to do things. You know, the, 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 there isn't but that long to go. The difficulty is, can Labour, can any government really deliver when the economic outlook is simply so difficult? Um, you know, this week, talking about the Bank of England's forecasts, 
um, very close to a recession, stagnant economic growth. Bloomberg Economics thinks that we're in recession now. You know, there isn't really the money. You've pointed to the autumn statement and the budget. There isn't the money necessarily to do dramatic things. I think that's a really fair point. And certainly speaking to people in number 10, you know, if, if, if I ever write, oh, Tories want a reset, often people in number 10 will say to me, look, look at the reality of the mm. situation. There is only so much we can do. We can't cut loads of taxes like like that and come up with loads of public spending. We know that that doesn't work Liz Trust style. And, you know, that that is a fair argument to an extent. Um but, you know, the reality of the situation is politics is unforgiving. And, you know, they can they can say, oh, you know, we were dealt a tough hand when we got in with Ukraine and COVID and, and so on. Mm. But the you know, the reality is Rishi Sunak's gonna be the one who gets blamed if the Tories lose the election and it's it's him who's gotta come up with some sort of strategy. Is there a risk when it comes to cohesion of the Tory party and how other you know, very prominent conservatives might be tempted to push out their own policies and their own ideas uh, while there isn't the the sign of kind of the big ideas coming from number 10. I think that's right. You'll, I think you'll see in the autumn statement a real push for, for tax cuts um, from the sort of the sort of trust Boris Johnson style right wing of the party. Um, you know, those those sorts of MPs will, will really try and put pressure on number 10. I think there are interesting schisms already between perhaps Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt just starting to emerge where, you, you know, they mm. want a bit more from the Chancellor, you know, something something a little bit more interesting in terms of in terms of the autumn statement. And then you've got another really interesting dynamic being the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, yes. who, you know, we were expecting there to be something in this King's speech on homelessness essentially a crack, cracking down on homelessness by taking away tents uh, for, for homeless people to, to sleep in. Um, and that didn't appear in the end after some controversy over the weekend about about uh, Bravman's remarks on that. And that is a bit of a slapdown for the Home Secretary. So you do wonder what's she thinking today looking at that speech? Yeah. Is she thinking, well, you know, I might have a bit of a, a moment here. Yeah, she called it a lifestyle choice. That was the controversial phrase. Um so uh, then um, we also have covered Rishi Sunak and the AI summit only a few days ago where he was, you know, had that sit down conversation with Elon Musk and sort of revealed that the election in the UK, he seemed to expect to come next year. So when might it come? Is that going to we're going to spend weeks and months debating this issue of when it's going to be called? It is the big question, I think all signs currently point to the back end of next year so the autumn october or november um there are reasons that the government could go sooner than that it could go in may or june for example if the economy does improve a bit inflation Mm. does come down wages are outstripping inflation and people are feeling a little bit better off and so on and so on there is a a train of thought uh, in some senior tory circles that going earlier there might be a little window for them to to offer some tax cuts get a bit of headroom for for to, for a bit of that sort of thing however you do wonder with the polls being as wide as they are apart at the moment Sunak might just want to sort of prolong his time in office as as, as much as he can if if the writing does appear to be on the wall as it certainly does at the moment and that would point to the second half of next year um you know, towards the autumn 
is the autumn statement the next big event to be looking out for for the next other potential reset in our <laughs> list of potential resets? <laughs> it is, but I, 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 I fear... Are you managing expectations? I now? fear we're going to have the exact same conversation after the, the autumn statement because unless there is a big you know, decision made in number 10 to say, you know what, we're going to decide that we've got a little bit of headroom, we are going to do a tax cut that people aren't expecting, we are going to basically start now doing things that are a bit more a bit more punchy if we don't get that it's going to be Jeremy Hunt talks about boosting productivity and investment which while is very important isn't necessarily going to change a huge number of votes or the political narrative. We look forward to having that conversation with you in a couple of weeks time Alex Wickham our senior UK government reporter thanks very much for that. Now, two government figures who weren't at the King's speech, the Foreign Secretary James Cleverly and the Defence Secretary Grant Shapps, they were in Japan ahead of the G7 meetings there where the war between Israel and Hamas is going to be a central topic of discussion. Back in Britain, this is something being talked about as well, the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, has welcomed a call from the Met Police for pro-Palestine marches planned for Armistice Day this Saturday to be postponed. Now, responding to the Met's request, the Palestine Solidarity Campaign and other pro-Palestine groups said their demonstrations would go ahead. Organisers say the route will be well away from Whitehall and the commemorations around the Cenotaph but it's another reminder really of how the war has brought many complex issues into focus for politics in Westminster too not only the position on the conflict itself but this Mm. is now becoming a debate too about the right to protest and what limits can be placed on that and what under what circumstances that's appropriate for authorities uh, to intervene so I think we expect to hear much more about that coming up soon. Yeah absolutely and and we reference you know the, the line in the King's speech around anti-Semitism and the Holocaust not being forgotten and so on. So it is it is very much uh, within the political um, debate and of course something that we have been covering, the conflict in and of itself across Bloomberg over the past month. Today we want to bring you a conversation about the situation in Gaza. The Hamas-run health ministry says that there have been more than 10,000 people killed since the start of the war a month ago. Electricity supplies have been cut. Uh, there are severe shortages of food, little aid arriving uh, from outside into Gaza. Our reporter Faris Akram, uh, himself a long-time correspondent in Gaza, has been in regular contact with people throughout the Gaza Strip since the start of the war. He shared with us what they've been telling him about the situation there now. The situation uh, is going from bad to worse. This is what the people tell me. The electricity has been cut now people uh, not only find electricity but they hardly keep their mobile phones with some uh, sort of battery they give their mobile phones to anybody who has like a solar panel in order to charge their mobile phones they are struggling to get water many people are thirsty in gaza because they can't find drinking water and they have to uh, use uh, the unsafe, the saline and contaminated water. Life is getting hard. In uh, Rafah town in the south of Gaza Strip, uh, people are struggling to get bread. A friend of mine told me I have been looking for two kilograms of flour to make bread and I can't uh, find in the whole city. Let alone the fears and, and horror from the unexpected airstrikes where all your calculations go wrong when you are trying to go for safety. You don't know where the bombs fall. 
you don't know what's the next target, you don't know where the Israeli army is going to strike, and people are also afraid about their future, their health, their well-being, and they are scared and terrified by the loss of people they know. Are you still in contact with anyone in the north of Gaza, in the Gaza City area? What have they told you about the situation there? Communicating with people in those areas is especially hard because the internet services are disrupted and the mobile services too. But from time to time, I managed to get in contact with a friend of mine who is sheltering with his family at Al-Shifa Hospital. He says every day the situation is going from bad to to worse. I ask him how. He says, at the beginning, uh, I used to charge my mobile phone uh, on a daily basis. Now I stay for hours and for days sometimes with my mobile out of service because the battery has died. And more important there is that there is no way to escape. He had already escaped his home and was taking shelter at Al-Shifa Hospital. Now Israel is striking around the hospital and they want the people to leave the hospital, but they don't know where to go. There are no vehicles, no cars, and it's getting scary every hour even. How are people feeling that you speak to? I imagine they're frightened by what's happening. Are they angry? It's mixed feelings of fear and anger fear because they expect they will die. Some people told me we keep our clothes on, especially women. They said we keep our headscarves on. So in case uh, the house gets struck, we will be covered already when rescuers uh, come. Some people wrote their names on their body parts, on their arms or legs, so they can be identified once they are rescued from the rubble of the house that they are sheltering in gets struck. And they are also afraid of future illnesses because they eat unhealthy food because there is no fresh food, no produce. So they eat canned food and they drink unsafe water. They are also sad by the loss of some family members Everybody in Gaza has suffered from this war. Some people lost close family members. Many people get their houses destroyed or damaged. As we know, almost half of Gaza Strip's houses were either destroyed or damaged. Given the scale of destruction, people don't think Gaza will be inhabitable if the blockade remains in place when and after the war is over. And they are also afraid about uh, plans to transfer the population to Sinai in Egypt and repeat the suffering and exodus uh, experienced and suffered by their ancestors. Do people have any hope as to how this may end? As far as I can tell from speaking to people, every day the hope they had is dwindling. When you talk about people being angry, is that anger at Israel alone, do people speak openly and are they openly critical of Hamas as well? Uh, people uh, blame Israel and they blame Hamas uh, too. But uh, for them, now it's not the time to speak about who to blame. They usually speak out after the end of the war. 
Now what they speak of and what they are thinking of is how to survive, how to stay alive, how to escape, how to make the calculations. I won't say which area of the strip is safe or not, but I would say which part of the house is safer than the other. Do we have to shelter in the kitchen or the living room? Do we have to stay in the stairway or uh, just outside the house to spare ourselves the rubble if the house collapses? These are the questions people are thinking about. They are too preoccupied with their struggle to survive. But when the war is over, it will be time to speak of blame and responsibility. And from previous rounds of wars, people blamed Israel and some people also whispered their blame of Hamas for risking the lives of people in Gaza or for not taking enough measures to ensure the protection of the population, for not warning the population in advance and for uh, firing, firing rockets sometimes without a reason. That's our reporter, Faris Akram, a long-time correspondent in Gaza, now based in Canada, but he has been irregularly in contact, as he was telling us there, with people all over the Gaza Strip since the start uh, of the war. And I think it's, you know, a, a very valuable picture painted of, of what's happening and how people are experiencing uh, the events as we are one month since the Hamas attack on Israel, in which, of course, 1,400 people uh, were killed, which started the war leading to the bombardment now of Gaza for the past month. The the yeah. Gaza Health Minister, of course, saying that more than 10,000 people have died there. Yeah, And what hope for the two-state solution? Uh, the group of seven foreign ministers who are meeting in Tokyo are apparently reportedly, according to Germany, top diplomat going to discuss the two-state solution and uh, you know what happens next. In terms of the detail on that Holocaust Memorial Bill in the UK, um, it, the, the line was that there would be public money for a National Holocaust Memorial and Learning Centre to be built near the Houses of Parliament. Well, that is it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. Now, this episode was produced by James Walcock and our audio engineer was Marufa Hussain. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.